Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you the Today, Tom Patton. Hello, Tom. How you doing, Sue? You all right? I am indeed. I'm indeed. You're the writer, director, and editor of uh, Redwood. Do you, want, um, do, you want, do you want to give us a brief synopsis as to what Redwood's about? Yeah, of course. So, Redwood is a horror film with a bit of a difference. It's a bit more character driven, I think, than a lot of horror films I see these days. But um, the, the general uh, through line of the movie is we have these two main characters. One of them just found out he's been diagnosed with leukemia and is due to start chemotherapy soon. So to sort of clear their heads ahead of that, they go out to this place called Redwood to go camping and sort of get in touch with themselves a little bit. And all hell breaks loose when they wander off the trail and straight into vampire territory, basically. Obviously straight into vampire territory. Where else, yeah. where else could, where else could <laughs> where else he wander? Could <laughs> of course, <laughs> um, but, but obviously, patently, they're not—they're not aware they're in a horror film. Um, no, well, you know what? There's the, to be honest, as a writer, I'm very—I'm—I'm um, I'm very self-aware of uh, cliches. I'm sort of a—I'm a massive lover of cliches, and I think as a writer, it makes me approach them in a way where I try to stuff my films with them and then subvert them because I, I kind of—I like doing that to the audience, and I also like making the characters self-aware that you know. And there's a lot of that in Redwood. They spot a horror cliche and they're open and they comment about it and then we subvert it so yeah there's a lot there's a lot of tropes in there that are twisted and turned and hopefully turned into something you haven't seen before good 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 that's always that's always a challenge for uh for modern horror makers isn't it is that uh, it's sort of everything's been done now so the the thing to do is subvert expectations as best you can yeah i think the reality is you know with um with horror films these days, like you said, I mean, there's, there's just been there's so much of it, and I think as you know, technology has made it more accessible for people to make movies, and obviously horror is one of these genres where it's it's fairly easy to to go out and make a horror film, but it's very difficult to make a horror film that people actually want to watch these days. And um, you know, my approach to it is to, is is to tackle that head on and just say, you know, I understand you've probably seen something like this before, 
but you haven't seen it remixed quite like this. And, and you know, that's that's sort of my approach to horror filmmaking, really. Yeah, and, and obviously you've got probably you're probably faced with the the most knowledgeable audience you're going to come across in Britain anyway with the, yeah with the fight <laughs> crowd. Pretty intimidating. I mean, I was, uh, to be honest with you, I mean, from a filmmaking perspective, you know, I'm sort of moving at a bit of a bizarre speed. You know, this uh, I'm actually on production in my third movie now, and it's mm. it's my third film in in 18 months. So, you know, I did I did uh, Pandorica first, and that released, and then you know, within I think within about a month of the release of that, we were shooting Redwood last summer. Right. You know, then I moved straight into this one. So it was almost like the the speed I was moving kind of made me take my eye off the ball with Redwood. So when I found out it was in Fright Fest, I was, you know, obviously over the moon and I kind of thought, you know, it'll be a Sunday morning, uh, you know, that'll be great anyway, you know, I've been really excited about it. And then it turned out they'd picked it as an opening night film. So, yeah, pretty intimidating, to be honest. And and what what is that? Is that a world premiere, European premiere? Yeah, it's well, well premiere. Um, we did a test screening earlier this year um, to sort of refine the cut down. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and the the response was insane. Um, you know, we, we were expecting a couple of people to try and come and give us some feedback. And I think two and a half thousand people queued up. Obviously, having somebody from Buffy the Vampire Slayer in a vampire film uh, aided that. Yeah. But, um, you know, and that helped us refine the film and make it better, make it tighter. So quite a lot has changed since that early test screening. And, yeah, this is the first time the finished version that I'm really happy with has been rolled out. So I'm I'm eager to see what people think of it. So let's just let's just pause for thought there. You're going to have a world premiere on Leicester Square. In, yeah, correct. <laughs> which is kind of <laughs> like cine, cine, cinema. Cinema. Uh, that's like cinema coming home, isn't it? Really, for the for, for having the first people to have a yep. first proper go at your movie. Look, honestly, I mean, I'm I'm a self-taught filmmaker. I didn't go to university or anything. You know, I've been grafting away for 11 years now. And, uh, you know, I started doing club videos and the music videos and commercials. But, you know, the, the dream as a, as any filmmaker really is is to have this sort of premiere, you know. And I intrinsically don't trust directors that say, I make films for me because, you know, I think bullshit, you know. <laughs> we, make, we make films for people to see and there's no, there's no better audience than to take a movie that is a horror film to a horror fan base and then as a filmmaker to find out that it's in Leicester Square is just a dream come true really brilliant brilliant now let's 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 take let's round we round the clock a second then so yeah. as 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 the writer looking at the blank page and yeah. you're brainstorming what to do obviously vampires is a fairly well-worn yeah well-worn road isn't it so it's very and in your synopsis you've already thrown a few things at us so you've, you've mentioned leukemia um yeah which i'm guessing will be story important very. <laughs> um, and and so so in that sense then where did your mind go in terms of in terms of getting getting so when you go on go and do a vampire movie or was it i've got an idea for a situation and and vampires came into that situation you know it was a bit of a strange one because i came off the back of my first movie and um it, it did well and it got good response from from a lot of people and i was approached by this company stern pictures mm-hmm. and they said to me we've got an incredible location we're toying with the idea of vampires, but we're not, you know, we're not sold on it. We can do whatever you want. Yeah. Would you like to come and look at the location and um, see if there's anything that you can come up with that fits that bill? And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. And they were like, there's one caveat, you know, um, the the opportunity to spend the money to make the film runs out in August. And at this point, it was July. So I was like, wow, OK, so we have to mount an entire movie from scratch 
from the beginning of July and be shooting by August the 15th. So it was like an immense challenge, really. And um, I think I'm a bit of a sadist in my head. I was like, you know what? That sounds fun. Let's do it. So <laughs> we went out to the location and I, I saw where the film would be set. And um, while I was there, kind of penciled a few things down. I mean, as a writer, I try and always approach things like okay let's find like a theme that i'm passionate about let's try to find a you know message that I, I, that resonates with me that i can then craft a story around and you know i think the word vampire had been mentioned early on so it, it was almost glued in my mind when i was forming the idea and it was it was weird as a writer to walk around the location and go okay i could use this i could use that i could use that and piece my story around that and um you know i wanted to do I, I think, you know, over the years, uh, you know, like like nearly every human being on the planet, we've all brushed somebody with cancer to some degree, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, um, you know, I'm one of these people, I, I find in the darkest moments, humour is what tends to creep in. And I wanted to do um, a film where the characters had this awful news, but dealt with it in such a way that, you know, like a normal person would, you know, I think when you, do, you deal with cancer in a film, normally it's they're so po-faced and miserable and boring. And here I wanted to have two characters that were, okay, we've had some bad news. Let's, let's deal with this. Let's stay optimistic. Let's, let's stay jovial. Let's, let's go out and have a holiday before things get bad, you know, but let's never lose sight of the fact that, you know, we, we can get through this. And, you know, I approached it from that perspective. And I think then bolting vampires in became fairly organic, but again, I mean, you talk about like not approaching it, like every other vampire film and you know i knew i knew i didn't want to do standard vampires so i kind of came at it from a more lovecraftian perspective uh, you know sort of a cosmic horror uh perspective and 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 kind of tried to rewrite the rules a little bit okay. you know and change how the vampires behave change what they look like change how they're created and you know and and come at it in such a way that i think the viewer is going to say okay I, I I buy them as vampires, but I've also never seen vampires like that. You know, in some respects, it's a name applied that you know they could be they could be something else. But you know, I think I think you know, it was just trying to find a tone that I haven't seen before and run with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose, I suppose, I suppose last time somebody did did do something that sort of revolution. I suppose with the vampire was uh, was Stateland, wasn't it? Where, uh... Yeah, I mean, I, I thought Stateland was it was a great movie. You know, and. Um, I, I suppose in some respects, you know, like how Stakeland kind of took zombie mythology and molded it onto vampire mythology, and you kind of got this breed of the both. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. yeah, I looked at things like Wendigos and, and, and things like that and borrowed heavily from there. And I also then, like I said, I visited the Lovecraft well and tried to find a, a unique way to, to explain these creatures. And um, I think there's some interesting world building going on. There's definitely a big mythology to Redwood that isn't explored in the film, mm -hmm. but it's hinted at in, in all these corners. And, um, you know, I certainly know what that mythology is and, you know, how it could be explored further. So, yeah, I'd be interested to see how people resonate with it, really. Now, um, your accent, I'm guessing, is somewhere in the Midlands, yeah? Yeah, it is. Well, do you know what's funny is I, I live down south now. Um, I've been there for... Uh, 12 years or something and um my accent's watered down but i'm actually shooting my next movie in the midlands okay. at, a, at a nuclear facility and everybody here's obviously speaking to me in a midlands accent so it's come back so well as you can tell i'm a full-on cockney now having lived in london yeah. for, uh... <laughs> oh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so so I was, the reason i was asking that is obviously the location for redwood isn't britain yeah. is it 
No, no, we shot in Poland. Um, like I said, I was I was in Cannes Film Festival and Pandorica had just come out. Mm-hmm. And it was one of these movies. I think it was, um, you know, it was so lo-fi. I mean, we shot that for absolute peanuts in yeah. pitch black in a paintball arena. And, you know, it kind of secretly snuck into UK cinemas and then it did it did very well amongst, the, you know, the sort of critics and stuff. And I think it kind of came a bit out of nowhere. And um, at Cannes, I was approached by a few different people. You know, what do you want to do next kind of thing? And yeah. um, I'm not a procrastinator, you know, I find, I, I like, I like working at intense speed, you know, I like finishing something and immediately starting another and all the other options that came to me felt like I would be in development for a long time. Right. And then these guys from Poland, like I said, Stern Pictures came to me and they didn't want to procrastinate. In fact, they, 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 were, they were like, you've got to be shooting in six weeks. And um, so it just, it seemed like this ludicrous challenge, you know, and I was going to have only, I'd only have my English AD, Craig Hind. I'd only have my um, producer, cinematographer, George Burt with me as English crew and the rest would be partnered with their crew in Poland. So there would be this language barrier and um, yeah, it was, it was exciting. It was interesting. And uh, that's why I took it. So yeah, Poland was an it was an incredible experience, though. So I'm, I'm guessing though from your trailer because I mean I've not seen the movie yet. Um, yeah, that you're shooting Poland for America, aren't you? Is that yeah, right? totally. I mean it's incredible how well it doubles. I mean I, I was shocked to be honest. And and sort of when when you first did that first location scout, was it was it with a view of shooting Poland for America, or was that something that developed out the idea? Of- no, I think I think it developed. I mean the thing is, as a filmmaker, you know, I'm very um. I'm, I'm I'm commercially minded, you know, like yeah. I, I think it's because I'm a self-taught filmmaker, you know, rather than, you know, going through the, the university system, which I absolutely respect people that do. But, you know, when you, when you do that, it allows you this luxury as a filmmaker to sort of, you know, approach film as an art primarily. Whereas when you're self-taught, like I've been, you know, and I've never had another job, it always made, it forced me to approach filmmaking as a business, you know, and, and come at it from a, how am I going to make money out of this? How am I going to pay my rent this week? And so as I've actually moved into feature films, you know, I sort of approach things with this commercial business mind in, you know, at the forefront. And, you know, it's like any business, you know, you want to make the best product, that's how you'll get the most amount of customers. And so, for me, it's always a case of saying, well, you know, how do I get a big, as, as big an audience as possible to buy into this? And I think that, you know, the world kind of accepts American movies as, the, you know, the high point of cinema. Um, and so I tried to find a nice crossbleed. You know, one of the characters is British. One of the characters is American. It doubles for American. So it allows me to get that British sensibility into the movie, but mm-hmm. at the same time appeal to a bigger audience. No, no, it makes perfect sense. So, on a very, on a very meta level, then, as you've already hinted at, you've yeah. got you've got um, Nicholas Brendan in, who obviously yeah. obviously made his name through Buffy, a very yeah. a very famous cult TV series about vampires. Was 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 he was he in it from the get go, or was he in it as a result of it being a vampire film, or was the vampire element sort of boosted by the very fact that he could be included in the movie? You know what? Honestly, it was it was the most bizarre set of circumstances I could ever have Tell had. Tell us more, Tom. Tell us more. So obviously, I came back from Poland on the location visit, and mm-hmm. I knew I had to go quickly. So uh, the entire script for Redwood was written in two days, and it is the first draft that we shot. So Stop because there was no, now, Tom. no, up. but there was no, there was simply no time. You know, and like obviously as a writer and a director, I look at it now and I think, oh, you know, it would have taken a year to work on the script or whatever. But you know, so the script was written flat out in two days, and I mapped out who the characters were going to be. I wrote the script in two days. 
in the trailer, you can see there's a joke about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and that's because I'm a Buffy fan, and like I said, I approach, I kind of approach horror from an almost, like, knowing perspective, you know, and the characters in the film are very aware of vampire mythology, you know, they're very right. aware of things like Buffy the Vampire Slayer existing. Okay. So when they encounter these creatures that aren't really like what they what they were expecting it's you know it becomes you know an even more terrifying prospect for them but that buffy joke was always in the script and you know as soon as the first draft was finished i remember the producer saying right we need to cast and i'm thinking okay <laughs> this is insane you know i finished the script on tuesday morning and uh by by thursday we were already casting people and working working to try and look at people in and <clears throat> i got the weirdest email from nicholas brendan saying hi i've just watched pandorica on amazon loved it would like to work with you and so i immediately sent that's that's literally happening at the time when you're being rushed to cast the movie yeah yeah it was absolutely my <laughs> uh, you couldn't have made it up you couldn't <laughs> no no if you'd have made it up everyone would have said you're lying yeah totally and uh so yeah that happened and so i sent him redwood and i said you know it's a vampire film um <laughs> just let me know what you think yeah he said really like it they came back his budget was way too high for for us mm-hmm. so i was like i'm really sorry i'd love we you know what i would love to work with you i'm such a big buffy fan i think a lot of my humor came from watching that show particularly your character so let's work together in the future and then he came back and he said you know what I actually want to do the film, so you pay me what you've got, and I'll do it. Wow! And and so that happened. And when he came, and then there was a lot of debate because obviously the script already included this joke about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and there was a lot of back and forth with him. I was like, should we take it out? Should we take it out? And then when Nikki arrived on set, I spoke to him about it. I was like, should I take it out? And he was like, let's see how it goes. Let's see how it goes. And um, then when we actually, so we actually shot his scenes, and it was it was brilliant i mean he just absolutely smashed it i showed him some of the stuff that we'd shot in the day and he just like gave me an elbow nudge and he's like you can keep the buffy joke and um, (laughs) and, you know i I, honestly it was i think it was one of these just weird melting pot situations where all the right ingredients went in at the exact right time i couldn't have controlled it if i'd humanly tried and thankfully it just it ended up working so you you see you you're coming across with this with the way you're describing how this film came about as as the almost like the perfect example of everyone needs to be lucky but then you've also got to be prepared to be lucky as well haven't you yeah, I mean, you know what? Like, I think it's one of these. You know, on the one side of the coin, you want to be, you want to be humble, and you want to, you want to accept, you know, the look that comes your way, and say, you know what? You know, I couldn't have done, I couldn't have made that happen. That wasn't me. But then on the other side of the coin, you have to go well. But I've also built up a good name. You know, I know what I was doing as a director. You know, he had watched my previous film and that brought him in. So it's like, it was a bit of a, a weird cocktail. But, you know, again, the, the, the sheer coincidence of it all. You, you no, it's phenomenal. it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. Yeah, totally. So, yeah, well, I got really lucky there. And, you know, Nicky is um, he's a, a really large in life personality. You know, and for me as a director, you know, this that was my second feature film and you know my first film's made up of complete unknowns and i'm proud of it but to suddenly have found myself on set and you know i've got mike beckingham in it um who's a fantastic actor really up and coming and i had touch on and i don't he's fantastic and really up and coming but then there's this day where this guy that i used to come home from school and watch on bbc2 
like religiously is sitting in front of my monitor and I'm having to give him direction and be really cool about it and be like, Nikki, if we could just do it like this, that'd be great. And then I turn to, to whoever's sitting next to me and be like, oh my God, that's Xander from Buffet. You know, <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't really control my own inner nerds, to be fair. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a really funny day. I know, that's fantastic. Though. And, and I don't think, I, don't, I think I think everybody would, everyone who's a fan of anything would identify with that, could identify with that feeling. And, you know, I mean, I, 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 interestingly, I, I, I love um, Psycho Beach Party, one of his, yeah. one of the films in his, in his that he's done, sort of yeah, yeah. since and during being in Buffy and stuff. So, uh, no, he's a, he's a, he's a good. Guy. He's in a great film called um, Coherence, which is on Netflix, which oh, is most cerebral film I've ever seen. I think. Yeah, super low budget, super mm. intelligent, really worth a watch. I think so. Uh, yeah, yeah. recommend viewing for anyone listening. That was a, that was a Duke Mitchell, um, Duke Mitchell film. At uh, Fright yeah. Fest back in 2013. Yeah, yeah, and a, a really just a really solid film, and I think shows what a good actor Nicky Nicky is. You know, he's um, but he's got this really good way of like, you know, almost. I think that's why me and him worked well together. You know, like I write in a very self-referential way, and he acts too like that. You know, he puts his demons from real life on screen into his characters, and I think it makes them interesting. What now? Obviously, all films are um are, are governed by finite resources and money. So yeah, you're, cool. you're you're going off to Poland, and you what do you say? You had you you were, you were allowed your English. I had my AD, and I had my um, producer slash the cinematographer. Okay, so everybody else, I'm guessing, then is Polish. Is your yeah, with so, so um, George uh, co-produced with um, Mike Stern, and they also co-DOP'd the movie together. So, you know, it was um, uh, th- it was a weird melting pot of somebody else's crew they'd spent years building up, you know, and and my two most trusted people. So, yeah. But, but just considering that that makeup and and the challenges of making the movie. Yeah. What, what what do you what do you consider your kind of rabbit out of the hat moment? You know, in terms of what you're able to achieve. That when you were looking on the page, you're going, "How the hell are we going to do this?" And then obviously it's your storyboarding it and blocking it out, or whatever. What, yeah. what, what would you what do you consider to be your rabbit out of the hat for, for, for as part of the production of Redwood? You know, you know, it's a really weird one because I'm because I write direct and edit you know and i it's funny because you know you get you know you, you hear and i do do this like you know you get directors say oh i direct for the edit when you get a director editor and for me I, I i feel like you know what i take it one step further like i write for the edit like i'm, I'm almost skipping the direction phase i'm like how will that be edited together and i look at directing like okay all i've got to do here is is facilitate the writing for the edit and um you know i think there was there was quite a few moments where I was like, holy hell, that looks better than I imagined. Uh, one of them is a bit of a spoiler, so I can't really say it too much, but you'll know it when I, when you see it. But there's yeah. a there's a scene inside a mausoleum, and you'll see it opening the opening two minutes of the film, it will be there, and then it comes back later on. But um we did some we did some practical effects creature building and this thing is huge, like five meters tall. And wow. Wow. Assemble, assembled from whatever we had, basically. And I think when people see it, they'll know what I'm talking about. But when I saw that on screen, when I stood next to it and I had photographs with it, I was like, how the hell did we pull that off? But, you know, it looks amazing and I'm super proud of it. And you'll know what I'm talking about when you see the movie. Straight away, you'll know it. Okay, yeah. I can't imagine there's many more five-meter monsters in the film if there's that's a big set piece. No, no, there's not that many. <laughs> <laughs> now, now you mentioned you mentioned at the start about about character driven. Yeah. What would and given you've already said that you it was it was a hurry job to get the script done. How did you manage to sort of surface 
sort of interesting character out of out of that experience? Look, I mean, my, my, my writing process is always the same on, on every film, you know, and I'm trying to trying to get better every movie. You know, I'm one of these writers and directors that, want, you know, I look at my previous film and go, you know what, that's, I can do better than that. Even if at the time I was super proud of it, I always want to look back and think, no, no, I got more, I got way more in the tank than that. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think the way I approach writing is I always just start with a theme first. So, you know, top of the page, I'll write whatever the theme of the movie is, you know, and the theme of, of uh, Redwood is, you know, how would you deal with grief like this? You know, yeah. and you know, and I, I think the interesting part about writing for me is whenever I watch a film and it fails and it falls and it, it doesn't work, you know, it's always because of the same reason. It's because they lose sight of theme. You know, for me, the theme is the, is the most important thing, you know, and I write it in big block letters at the top of a page when I'm character profiling. When I'm writing the script, I get a big piece of um, camera tape, I stick it across the top of my Mac and I write the sentence across it so I never lose sight of it. And, you know, before I even really start building the story, I'll build the characters and I make sure that every character represents a different argument of that theme so you know this guy will deal with it this way because i've met someone that would do it like that or this girl will do it this way you know and i try to i try to make sure that every character is an opposing argument but for the same theme you know and my my goal as a writer then is to take those characters and try to say what i feel about it but i think if you've created characters where there's enough argument going on between them and you very explicitly say what the theme is. The characters are representing all the different arguments. And then at the end of the movie, as a director, I say, this is my opinion on the matter. But obviously there's enough argument in there that you as a viewer can pick the opinion that you like the most. That's really the job. And I kind of just take that through line from start to finish and try to populate a story with characters driven by the theme rather than driven by the plot, you know? So tell, I mean, unless I've missed it, sorry if I have. What, what was your yeah. theme you wrote down at the start of this then? So the, the theme for, for Redwood is really dealing with grief. You know, the theme that I wrote on the screen was, what would you do if you would dealt this hand? You know, that was what I'd written across the screen. And, um, yeah, you know, like the thing is, I always think to myself, you know, I know I've not had family members um, diagnosed with cancer. We've lost family members to cancer, you know. And I think an interesting thing as a writer is to often say, OK, what would I what would I do when I, if I was dealt that hand? And that's one argument. And then you can start to look at all the other options that you could do, the ones that don't feel natural to you. Mm. You know, like maybe you could do this, maybe you would do that, maybe you would do this. And then my, my approach is to always, the character I like the most will deal with it the way that I would. Okay. And then because I resonate with that character. Of course. But then the rest of the characters will deal with the things that I feel uncomfortable with. Like, oh, how would I feel if I did that option you know and that's and that's how i approach writing across the board you know whatever the theme is you know pandorica was essentially a film about uh, a work weekend away um like, but you know to pit to get a job promotion but it was happened to be set in the future you know and across the top of the board um what makes a good leader and everything tried to resonate for that and um oh, that's interesting yeah, and black site that i'm currently shooting at the moment is mm. um you know thematically um don't believe the labels people put on you, you know, and every character represents a different label and how they're going to pull it off. And, you know, and I find as long as I, I'm happy with the theme and I resonate with it, it's very easy to create characters that represent the argument. And then the story kind of comes organically from there for me. I think it's really interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm as uh, I tend to see theme after the event, you know, okay. you know, having written. Yeah. There's, there's, there's a theme because I kind of go with the story yeah, I mean it's a it's a longer process. If you can if you can nail the theme at the start and write the theme, 
it's, yeah. uh, from what you're saying, I can see how how you can kind of short circuit something because if you always know what they're arguing about, even yeah. though you're writing a story about that's got vampires in it, if ultimately, because I think that's what's interesting. Anyone listening to this is that you've said it's a vampire movie. But what you've said is uh, what you tried to write about was what if I was what if these people were how would people deal with being told they're going to die of cancer? Yeah, that's and a, then I. And then the, because because I dealt because that's my starting point when I introduced the vampires, it made me go great. Okay, the vampires are cancer, you know, and now they're dealing with the vampires as they would deal with the cancer, you know, and everything becomes a a thematic argument for the same point, you know, whether they're vampires, whether they're arguing about where they're going to put their tent up for the night, whether they're talking about how much they enjoyed something, you know, everything is is an argument for the theme and you know when i when i when i do my editing process for uh, the scripts and sometimes you know because i edit the movie as well like i always look at the the actual finished edit that goes on screen like that's the final draft of the script and yeah, 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 yeah. and when i do when i do that edit you know i'm any the way i see it in my mind is if it if it isn't saying something about the theme if it isn't if the, if this isn't an argument about theme in some way i cut it and mm. that's that's kind of my that's my writing and editing process yeah, one 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 of my favourites of, of recent years of horror films that, that sort of did a horror film but then dealt with grief was uh, was Babadook. Yeah, and it's such an incredible movie. I mean, you know, there's that for me is a film that you know I, I clearly felt they approached it from saying, okay, let's talk about something that you know maybe I've seen in my life or maybe I've experienced myself. Let's what happens if you don't love your kid? Mm. Like what happens, you know, and then everything became uh, an extension of that, you know, the, 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 the monster, the storybook, the tone, the look of the art department, you know, there's depressive gray walls. Everything was a sort of, you know, a, the world closing in on a mother who just was really struggling to love a kid. And, you know, when you first meet that kid it is an annoying little shit, to be honest, you know, <laughs> And, and you kind of feel for her, and and I think yeah, there's there's a film, and right at the end, like I love I love the way they thematically tie everything up, you know, and they say, look, this is something she's going to have to deal with, but she can learn to get better with, and I, you know, it's just a beautifully written film, you know, and and that's that to me is like a you know a holy grail of writing if you can if you can start thematically strong, mm. and then you've got something to say thematically strong at the end, then but, it'll all. I was going to say, but also I think with your with what you're what you're describing with your idea is that in a way, if someone sort of diagnoses you with cancer, yeah. you, 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 that's an internal struggle that you're now faced with. Yeah. And it's kind of, there is a fight or flight, which is almost like the cornerstone of any horror film with an external evil force, isn't it? And obviously you're saying, you've, you've used the metaphor then of the fight or flight of cancer becomes the fight or flight of yeah. these vampire creatures that you've created. I, I, Absolutely. And I think, you know, like you talk about an internal and an external and I sort of saw I saw it that way. And I was like, you know what, although, you know, um, the character is dealing with this internal battle, it very much, you know, like for anybody that's ever, you know, dealt with cancer, I'm sure they would all agree. You know, it feels like this in external invader, like this external presence that's hijacked you and there's nothing you can do about it other than try and fight it or sit there and, and accept death. And, you know, that's that for me is terrifying. You know, that Redwood is a horror film, not because there's vampires in it. Redwood's a horror film because there's cancer in it. You know, mm. it's like the, the ultimate boogeyman as far as I'm concerned, because it doesn't care who you are. It doesn't care how old you are. And it will come for you if it wants to. And there's nothing you can do about it. And I find that terrifying, you know, and all I tried to do was that's how the vampires are. You know, it's, it's almost like, 
they they, they are this same presence within the film. They, there's nothing you can do about this. They're coming for you, whether you like it or not. And um, yeah, that that kind of informed how the characters would behave and respond. But like I said, for anybody listening, it's not a po faced film. I approached it in 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 the way that I would approach bad news or you know when i'm when i'm scared you know like i mean we're shooting in this um these dark tunnels at the moment and the lights went out the other day and i've got to be honest i absolutely shit myself but you know <laughs> my approach is to joke about it you know i think yeah, that's yeah, yeah. how we've you know i kind of i deal with bad news and you know i imprinted that on the characters you know they're trying to get on with life they're not trying wow. to wallow in it and although you know they can never quite escape it it's always just on the fringe of the sentence the sentences in the first half of the film they're trying to get on with life and obviously when the vampires enter the fray it's it's like okay we can't fight this anymore we can't uh, we can't avoid the obvious and the vampires are a metaphor for you can only hold back bad news like this for so long before it takes over no, and, and I think as well we've we've had we've had a you know with 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 the success of something like Breaking Bad, where one man's fight against cancer turns him into a master criminal. Yeah, is you know the, the 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 internal struggle of of the fight or flight that goes on with you mentally and physically against. And I love you. I love the notion of of cancer being a demon. I think it's a. I think it's a. Re, it's, it it gives it an identity. I don't. I don't know if you've seen. Um, there's a film called The Ghoul, which has just been released this week. You know what? I haven't heard, I haven't seen it yet. I've heard crazy good things though, so I'm definitely going to watch it. And that's got that's got a lot of um, a lot of that kind of um, the sort of the use the, the semantics being a way to describe the evil, yeah. As opposed to uh, and the real struggle of living is about what is in your head, yeah, and, and almost fighting yourself as opposed to just literally there's something evil or something bad in front of you and it's an obstacle it's actually yeah. you're projecting the obstacle aren't you in a way to- totally and i think that you know that for me is and any any of my favorite films kind of have that same ability you know they 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 take a situation that's fantastic i mean i'm a genre lover i don't mm-hmm. you know and don't get me wrong i love drama i love comedy and stuff but like i'm a genre writer i'm attracted to genre pieces because i think that Genre can take, whether it's science fiction or fantasy or horror, it can take a real world situation and it can repackage it in such a way that's entertaining. But if it's done right, it can make you feel something about yourself or the things you've dealt with or the world you're living in. And it can say it in a way that is a bit easier for you to digest. And I think when you do that, it makes you think a little bit more about that situation. And um, all my favorite films deal with that. And I also think it gives you a destination, you know, as a viewer. Like I like destination TV shows. I like destination films. You know, like where where the where the writer explicitly is telling you this is the end point. This is where we're going. This is this is where the film ends. You know, and yeah. um, I I like I'm attracted to that kind of thing. And I think that that kind of story comes from okay, here's a situation that you'll know a little something about or you'll have met someone that's got something about and that means you know the destination in your heart you know how this ended up for that person and we're going to take you there and maybe we'll pull the rug on you um which hopefully we do in uh redwood so i was going to say so what you're saying there is essentially is um is that it's 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 always a kind of hero's journey which is appealing and that hero's journey doesn't always end in victory it can no. it can obviously and with horror and horror films often it ends with with tragedy. Yeah, totally. You know, and I think it's um, 
powerful films. I mean, even even the the biggest, the greatest hero journey franchise of all time is Star Wars, yeah. and the most beloved entry is the one where the heroes get their asses handed to them. Like everybody <laughs> says, Empire is the best movie, and it's because they lose. And we all know, we all we all resonated with that. We all felt that. We all kind of felt, I'm a good person, but I lose more than I win, and that's why everybody loves Empire more. And I think that's why horror is such a fascinating and popular genre because we watch horror films for two reasons a we love having the shit scared out of us and b we we resonate with it you know the heroes often get their asses handed to them in horror and i think as as a species we go yeah i get that that's happened to me <laughs> that's probably i'd probably get eaten that's probably what i was gonna, I, was to gonna, me. I mean that's a conversation <laughs> me and my wife often have we've we've now decided that a would be no good in a dystopian future yeah. We'd, we'd be no good in a in a zombie invasion. Yeah. Um, I think vampires are already. What was he watching last night? We'd be no good if um, if a child we had died and we and we were being haunted yeah. by the demon of a child. Definitely so, don't get back to life. <laughs> so yeah, it's constantly that thing of it doesn't matter how how much you stretch the situation in the movie from yeah. what what is obviously rational, as long as it plays straight with what's irrational. Yeah. It allows the audience, doesn't it, to to go. Well, what would I do? I mean, yeah, I'm- totally. And that's the power of cinema, right? Is to take you from wherever you live or whatever you do for your job and put you in somebody else's shoes and go. No matter how bonkers this is, what would you do? And the way to the way to succeed at that is, you know, establish what your rules are at the beginning and don't break them. You know, like just don't just don't twist your own rules, and um, the viewer will believe anything you give them, really. What, with that in mind, then, what was what was the hardest? I mean, given you were trying to sort of bring in your own provenance to to what yeah. is a well-established, you know, um, story about what rules and stories about vampires. What what was the hardest thing, hardest challenge for you to resolve as in story in story terms with your rules? Okay, yeah, I mean, it's it's always difficult when you're you know trying to approach something that people are very aware of. You know, and I kind of I think I tried to approach Redwood in a way. There was, you know, like I said earlier, I had this like Lovecraftian cosmic horror approach to the way I did it, you know. And um, one of the things I loved about Logan earlier this year was how it, you know, subverted um, the the action trope, you know, like what the audience is programmed to know will happen, you know, because, you know, we've had like 50 years of cinema history tell us that when he drives that car at that fence, he's going to burst through the other side and then have a big race across the desert. And in reality, he wouldn't do that. And when Logan had that moment where he hits the fence and just gets stuck and then has to drive around the car park with a fence hanging off of it, (laughs) it was such a great moment for the audience because, you know, we were like, it was like taking everything that we expect to see and then subverting it into how it would really be. And, that's why why it worked for the audience and um i tried to do the same with the vampires in in redwood where you know i was saying look we've got like you know over 100 years of law that says you know if you hit them in the state with a stake in the chest they'll die and all this stuff and you know Mm. garlic and sunlight and you know i approached it in such a way that was like come on if a vampire chased you would you actually even get close enough to stick a stake in its chest no it would you don't know you don't know you couldn't understand these things you wouldn't be able to fathom them you certainly wouldn't try and kill them you know you would literally just be prey and that's the reality of the situation for you and so that kind of you know 
uh, approach to to the vampires m- let me sort of go you know okay this is how this is the rules for these things they're going to be beyond our understanding and there's this very cosmic horror opening like how they came to be you don't need to know necessarily the mechanics of it but the rules of it are very much established and the same for the vampires you know when we first come across them you know i use the rules of cancer for the vampires rather than the rules of vampires where i said you know that's interesting yeah, you can't you, you can't stop these things, control them. You've got no say over them. They don't listen to you. You can't reason with them, speak to them. You know, the, my vampires don't talk English. They don't talk at all. You know, they, they are predatory. They're like sharks. And, mm. you know, they don't care what you've got to say. They've got nothing to trade for them. They're, they're single-minded in, in what they're up to. And um, that, was, that was my rulemaking approach to it, was to come at them the same way the characters are having to deal with cancer. Those same rules were then applied to the vampires. Excellent, excellent. That's really interesting, because uh, I don't know if, you've, if, you've, if you know of um, Eat Locals, which is also premiering. Yes, yeah, exactly. I was actually a judge at... Um, the Biff Film Festival earlier this year, and that was the that film was in, and we um, gave Jason Fleming a Best Director award. So yeah, well, yeah, well again, he 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 took a he took a well worn vampire trope and added his own little twist, didn't he? In terms of yeah, totally. I mean, our vampire films couldn't be any more different if they tried. But um, you know, I really respected what he did there, and you know, he 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 made the vampires the central force of the movie you know whereas for, you know for my film they are this invading force where you know that can't be reasoned with and don't and don't care so you know it's i think that's what's great about vampires really is that you can do all sorts with them there and they're not just vampires like any monster you know like Gilmero del toro is a master of taking well-worn tropes like ghosts or fairy tale creatures and subverting them to his own you know uh agenda and i think you know any 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 good writer filmmaker can can take a, a well-worn creature and subvert it to suit to suit the message that they're trying to put out there and um you know vampires have been for every iteration you can think of from what jason's done to what i'm doing what buffy did with them as a metaphor for high school you know even making them bloody sparkly so little girls would would buy teddy bears you know that's there's there's so much scope to to do what you want with them as a creature it's interesting yeah, one one of my favourites in recent years, I think it was the Frightfest one, was We Are the Night, German one. Yeah, yeah, I've seen a good film. Which is which is brilliant because it, it took the idea of they got tired of men, so they stopped biting men to, to yeah. become vampires, so they become women. And I thought, again, it's an interesting one because you could take you could take that as being a kind of war of the sexes as well as being yeah, totally. a, a vampire movie. Yeah, this, the, honestly, this is this is it, and I think that you know, that's why the vampire well is so revisited. It's so you know when you when we use that term well worn or you know, um, it's because they're so versatile, they're so applicable to so many situations that you know, you, as a writer, that like I don't think we'll ever really run out of steam on them. You know, people will might get tired or bored of them for a little while, but then a reinvention will come along and it'll spark up a whole new you know um, run of imagination. And I think we're seeing that with zombies at the moment. You know, there was such a glut of zombie stuff, and it feels at the moment that perhaps there's nothing left to say. But I've no doubt, ten years down the line, someone's going to rock back up and reinvent the whole thing and have something that will spark an entire new run for them. You know? Yeah. So, so sometimes the, the 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 sort of horror, the horror, the horror tools, as it were, need need a rest every now and again. I think. Yeah. I think you think of like what uh, Schneider did and um, and Danny Boyle did. In terms yeah. Of the whole kind of bringing the speed to the zombies and that's obviously been used in different films now 
as opposed yeah. to the, the classic Romero style. Well, well, this is it. It was like because Danny Boyle and, and Zack Snyder reinvented zombies like that, and then that became the, the staple for how zombies were represented. When Walking Dead came along and slowed them down again, it suddenly felt fresh again. Mm. You know, I think somebody will come along and do something unique again with the with the concept. And um, you know, we're seeing we're seeing bits and pieces like uh, I Zombie doing doing interesting things with zombies. But you know, as a, as a character, it's like anything. You know, the viewing public will get will wane and then it will its interest will be reignited by some smart filmmaker that will do something unique with it well look sir i it's it's for me now to thank you for your time coming on the podcast it's been really interesting talking about yes, my pleasure. Redwood. and congratulations on what is your second feature and good luck with finishing off your third which is we're talking to you now as you're in the process <laughs> of doing that um and have a thoroughly good time at your world premiere in london's leicester square i think that can't be said often enough when when people yeah. get to that yeah. position in life. You know what? I think you're actually the first person that said that to me. So thank you. It does feel good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of, it can sometimes get a bit lost because obviously there's the big banner, which is you're at Fright Fest, which is in itself yeah. a big achievement. You know, that's, you know, festivals are, yep. festivals are not easy to get into by any stretch of imagination. And so no. the idea of having something as prestigious as you will premiere where, you know, the glitz and the glamour, you know, you see on, the, on, your, on your tea time news, the, the camera flashes yep. in Leicester Square. And that will be you. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 mind blowing, and I'm really psyched. And um, for anybody that wants to attend, the, the first screening is now fully sold out, which I'm really honoured by anybody who's bought tickets to come and watch. But Bright Fest have decided to put a second screening on on Saturday the 26th, so there's still some tickets available there, and hopefully we'll see some of the listeners uh, attending. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, look, thanks for your time, and good luck with the rest of your shoot. Thanks, Stuart. Really appreciate it. <sighs> Listening to the Brinflix Fright Fest Preview Podcast. Hey, y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.